0: My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. welcome back everybody uh, head to the book of galatians that is where we're going to be today galatians chapter one is where we've left off we've been in galatians chapter one for four weeks uh the first week was an introduction all right and yes we might only be on verse 10 but it's cool like that's cool i'm not joking today we are going to walk out of here in ver- in chapter two All right, I know, I know. I'm kind of excited, but uh, we're gonna see, at least Lord willing, (laughs) we'll see what happens here. I may get stuck on the first verse, it's cool. Um, I'm just kidding. so I'm excited about where we are. I'm, I really am excited about this uh, sermon series that we've been going through, uh, Set Free, Live Free, and that really describes the Christian life. We have been, and that's what we saying about pretty much all day today, was that the fact that we are set free in Christ and that we are able to live free in Christ as well. And that's what God wants for us. That's his will for us. His will for us is to be set free, but his will for us is to live free as well, not to go back into bondage uh, that we were living in. He set us free from so many different kinds of things, uh, especially sin, especially hopelessness, um, fear. Uh, all of these things that that plague our minds, that plague the minds of the world, and uh, and we were a part of that. And and God has set us free from those things, so we can walk. We can walk around undefeated. We can walk around in victory. We can walk around with joy. We can walk around with hope. That's everlasting hope. Uh, we can. We can there are so many things that this world worries about. And that was a part of things that we used to worry about that we no longer have to worry about because we know where our hope is and we know what the purpose of life is and we found that and God has revealed that to us. And um, and so we get to, we're not only set free, but we get to live free and it is such an incredible, incredible blessing. Um, so today, we, a couple of weeks ago, Uh, We talked about contending for the faith and we looked at how Paul was such a great example of contending for the faith and we looked in the book of Joel and, and saw that verse about how we are called to contend for the faith from here on out all believers. And then last week, we talked about confrontation. That was uh, a little bit of a hard thing to talk about because it's something that we don't necessarily like, but we also understand that sometimes in order to contend for the faith, uh, we're going to have some confrontation sometimes. Uh, this world um, is in opposition to God, and, uh, and so therefore, his followers are going to have um, different kinds of confrontations. Jesus himself Uh, had confrontation all the time and it ultimately led to his death because of the confrontation and he said hey believers they're also you're also going to have confrontation as well because they did with me. And so that's just something that's a part of life and that we need to uh, understand that, um, that in order to live a Christian life, we're probably going to have to have that. We cannot uh, kind of skate by in life without any confrontation at all. It's going to happen. And I have a feeling that as we see things progress in the world, it's going to happen more and more uh, for believers. So just be ready for that. Um, and remember, I just want to share this with you whenever somebody comes to you, uh, because somebody came to me recently and they were like, they, you know, they said, so tell me what you believe about this. And I looked at him in the face and I just said, it, I said, let me ask you what, 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 what faith are you coming from? All right. And they said they were coming from a Muslim faith. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, tell me, what do you believe about this? And they were like, I said, what, I said, what do you believe about Christianity? Do you believe that we're in trouble? Do you believe that we're not gonna make it to heaven? And uh, and then he said, Well, I don't believe that. And I said, oh, Okay, but what does what does your what does your faith teach? Like what does what does Islam teach? And then and, and then I said, Do they teach that? And and they said, Yes. And I said, So do you believe that? No, but I don't believe that. And I said, Okay, so then you're technically not a Muslim. You're technically uh, your name Ism because you've made up your own religion. Like that's what you've done. And so what what the whole point is Is that when somebody wants to confront you about something it doesn't matter what you believe whenever somebody's gonna attack you personally they're gonna come to you and they're gonna say tell me what you believe about this and your reply can always be it doesn't matter what I believe let's look at what the Bible says let's look at what that says because that's what I want to talk to you about because what we believe doesn't matter what is truth is what matters, and that's what's in the Word of God. So always deflect to the Word of God. Don't ever let somebody attack you. If they want to have a problem with you, first give them a problem with the Word, and then um, and then talk to them from that point of view. Uh, so I love Paul because he he knows how to uh, contend for the faith. Um, he was not he didn't. I don't think Paul's a person that enjoyed confrontation, but uh, he was okay with getting into it. and uh, And so today, uh, another C word. And no, I did not plan this out. It just kind of happened this way. Uh, we're going to talk about conformity um, just for a second. Uh, whenever I was a youth pastor, um, that was—I'm not far removed from being a youth pastor. But uh, I think uh, we started—we stopped being youth ministers like in 20 what 17, 16, somewhere around there. Um, and uh, and so, anyways, there were some things that I loved to do and things that I didn't love to do. And it was so funny because we were a sixth through twelfth grade youth group. All right, so we had over 100 kids in youth, and there were. They were sixth grade all the way to 12th grade, okay? And, uh, and you could tell the difference between the two in the room. Uh, my favorite people in the world, if you were to tell me, Greg, if you could either be a high school youth pastor or a junior high youth pastor, middle school youth pastor, what would you choose? Middle school all day, every day, all right? They know how to have fun, okay? I loved going to the middle school. Like, we lived in a place where it was okay for you as a youth pastor to go to the school and to hang out with the kids. And so we would you know, be promoting something that we were doing, and so we would go, or we wouldn't be promoting, we would just go hang out with the students. And I loved it because middle school, they were always the first people to have lunch. High school was always the second people to have lunch. They were in two separate buildings, but they were neighboring buildings. So I could go over to the middle school, eat lunch with them, hang out with the different rotations of lunch. Then I would jump over to the high school, have lunch with them. So I would walk into the middle school and it is the greatest feeling in the world as a youth pastor to walk into a middle school. Because when you walk into a middle school, you're the coolest person and they want all their friends to be like, that's my youth pastor is here right now. Come sit over here with us. You're walking in, you're like, what's up everybody? You know, like you look you feel cool, like you feel really cool. Like this is what it must feel like to be like Taylor Swift, like walking through New York City, like this. This has to be like what it feels like. And, and, and you, walk, you think you're the biggest deal ever and you sit with everybody, everybody wants to sit with you. Kids are coming up and they're like, hey, watch me do this, you know? And they're, all the, they're middle schoolers, right? And so you just high fives all around and then you gotta leave and everybody walks you to the door in like a mass group and you're like, I love you guys, we'll see you later. Oh, but it's short lived because then you have to walk over to the high school. Something happens between middle school and high school. From eighth grade until ninth grade, uh, I think at the first, definitely by second semester of ninth grade, they're no longer a middle schooler. They are now a high schooler. When you walk into the high school, this is what it must feel like to be Donald Trump walking through New York City. Because when you walk into the high school, you walk in and everybody's like, oh my gosh what is he doing here why don't come over here please just and then you get like nobody makes eye contact like you walk in and you're just like hey like you feel so insecure you could not feel more insecure whenever you walk into a high school lunchroom and uh because they've all got their tables that they're sitting at they've all got their friends guys and the thing about high school it's all about fitting in it's all about conformity. It's all about being cool. It's never about bringing attention to yourself, all right? Do not bring attention to yourself and when the youth pastor walks in the room, you are praying that he does not come over to your table. So that and and, and it's crazy cuz these kids could have been at my house on Monday night, all right? We had a great Bible study. It was wonderful. Everything was good. And then Tuesday you walk in and you're just like, "Hey, Chad, what's up?" <laughs> Chad <laughs> go over here like that's just kind of how it is then you get to you know then you have your Wednesday night everybody's together on Wednesday night you've got your middle schoolers you've got your high schoolers your middle schoolers they are the ones that want to play all the games you know as a youth pastor you've got to come up with games that's just what you do on Wednesday night so you have this game that everybody's gonna play if you blend up something a bunch of some things it's disgusting and you're like who wants to play and middle schoolers always are the first ones to jump up I'll eat anything Right, especially if you don't even have to give anything away. They just want to be up there. They just want to be in front of everybody, and they want to just have the best time ever. And the, and the high schoolers are just sitting back like this is stupid, right? Like that's just kind of what it feels like. But the middle schoolers are incredible, and and I'll never forget. So you've got middle schoolers, you've got high schoolers, and then you have an anomaly. They're called homeschoolers. They don't know what to do.
1: They're not quite sure.
0: In fact, I'll never, you never knew what you were gonna come in contact with whenever somebody said, I'm homeschooled. It was, I mean, it's a wild, wild hair. Like they could, could go either way, all right? And I'll never forget, I'm preaching, I've got a couple of new kids, um, and uh, I get done preaching and you know, I'm, I'm, I put my stuff down, I'm walking out, and I'm gonna go mingle and all the middle schoolers are gonna come say hey and like, you know, wanna hang out with me. And there's a, this kid that comes up and he was like, hey, and I was like, hey man, how are you? My name's Greg. He's like, my name's Andrew. I was like, oh, awesome. I shouldn't have said his name out loud. Uh, <laughs> if you're watching, <laughs> he's not. Um, but he, um, he's like, hey, what's up? I'm Andrew and I'm like, oh, cool, man. Uh, and then he puts, I'm not, I'm not lying to you, I don't even know how he did this. He is standing up, he grabs his leg, he puts it over his head over his head, and he goes, would it have been distracting if I did this during your message? And I was like, uh-huh. You know, I was like, yeah. Uh, and, and anyways, he puts his leg down, he runs off. And I was like, wow, that was interesting. Um, and, and then I'll never forget the, the person who was standing there next to me, high schooler. And they said, I don't get homeschoolers. Why can't they just be normal like the rest of us? And then walked off. And I was like, I sat there for a second, just after what that person had just said. Why can't they be normal like the rest of us? And I wanna be like, like you? You're normal? I, you wouldn't even say hey to me when I walk in the room. Like, what, what's your definition of normal conformity to like what everybody else says that you need to be? Like, is that it? And I remember talking to Tamara and I was like, you know what, I'm convinced homeschoolers are what kids would turn out to be if they didn't have to like conform to the pressures of wherever they would be because they're just themselves that's why that's why it's like they don't know what's right to do they they're not socialized they don't they don't I mean look I have a I have two homeschool children all right so I can talk about this right now okay don't be like he's eight non-homeschoolers I have two Um, but the thing is it's like that's just who they are that's who they want to be. And I was like, man, that, that right there is a sign of what it looks like whenever somebody is conformed to a certain thing. And, and there's just such drastic differences between those things. And, and they're just being who they want to be, not who everybody else wants them to be. And that's the thing about conformity. Conformity is a game we play. If you think about it from high school, it's a game we play for the rest of our life, no matter where we are. Conformity happens. It doesn't matter where you are. If you listen, I'm sure you've done it. How many of you guys have had multiple jobs like in different environments? Yeah. Okay. Isn't there an odd Conformity to where you work like there's a certain way that people want you to act where you work, right? If you work at JCPenney's It's all about your clothes. Oh, I gotta have the nice clothes, right? If you work at Disney World, it's how many Pins you have, right? Like, like, this is the cool thing, right? And it happens. If you think about it, every environment we walk into, we want to conform to that so that we feel somewhat accepted, OK? But that's not the life Christ has called us to. He's not called us to conform to where we are supposed to be, all right? There's acceptable ways to live. There are unacceptable ways to live. And we, are, we try to figure out what those are so that we can fit into those things. Um, And so I'm going to, I'm going to read to you guys just a, a few quotes here about conformity. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this. All right. To be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. Love that. Um, John Ruskin, right? He's an English art critic. Uh, he says this. I fear uniformity. You cannot manufacture great people any more than you can manufacture gold. So good. John F. Kennedy said this, Conformity is the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. Conformity is the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. A German philosopher by the name of Schopenhauer, I don't know if I said that right. I have no idea. I tried. He said this. This is this right here. This is incredible. All right. We forfeit three-fourths of ourselves in order to be like other people. Wow, we forfeit three-fourths of ourselves in order to be like other people. Francis Asbury, have you guys ever heard the name Asbury before? Where have you heard it? Methodist, yeah. So, Asbury is Methodist. What happened out there? Oh, okay, I'll need to go there. But yeah, he was actually um, he, the first Bishop of the Methodist church. And there are so many like Asbury Method, United Methodist churches out there. Um, and so this is what he was at, uh, praying over a, a deacon ordination one time, and he was praying over these guys that were being ordained as deacons. And this was his prayer over them. Oh Lord grant that these brethren may never want to be like other people. That's huge. That is huge and such a good prayer. And that is something that I pray over us. May we never just want to be like other people, right? That is what we are not supposed to do. Uh, And why? Because this world doesn't need another clone. You know who this world needs? You. This world needs you. They don't need the same thing that they see day in and day out. The clones never make a difference in the world. It's the individuals who make a difference in the world. And that's what we're called to be. Do you know what the reward, I was thinking about this, do you know what the reward for conformity is? The reward for conformity is at the end of the day, it's the approval of man, but it's misery, regret, and disappointment in yourself. And we know it to be true. We know it to be true because how many, guys, I don't know about you, I regret conformity in high school. I regret it. I regret that I tried to go with the flow and be like everybody else, and didn't make a difference where God had placed me, and I regret that all the time. And I and I made I made a choice to never make that mistake again. And so in college, I did not want to conform to people. Did not want to conform to it. I wanted to be my own person, and so I didn't. And I was a I was a lot more successful in spiritual discipleship and in leading people to Christ in college than I. Ever was in high school because I made that decision to do so. The only thing that we are to conform to is the image of Christ. The only thing we're supposed to conform to. I think of Romans chapter 12 verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only reason I should look like anyone else is because we are both aiming to look like Christ. Those are the people that we want to look like. The Galatian Christians, uh, they were being told to conform. Uh, they were they, These people were coming along and they were saying, listen, it's not just grace alone. We are saying, and these are Judaizers, they are Jewish people, and they are saying, yes, we believe in Christ. Yes, we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, but there's no way that it can just be grace alone. It only makes sense to also have to continue following the law as well. So they were trying to convince these Galatian Christians that they are supposed to now follow the law again, and it was working. And they were they were now conforming to what these people were saying rather than following what Christ told them at salvation and what Paul had told them as well, all right? And today in our culture, we experience the same exact thing. The Galatian Christians were told, hey, you want to be a Christian? Great, but it's going to look like this. Today in our world, people are telling us as Christians, hey, you want to be a Christian? Great, but this is what it's going to look like. And so we start to conform to that because we start to submit to the authority of the world for fear of standing out. We don't need to do that. But Paul refused to bow down to what everyone wanted him to be. And, uh, and we're able to sit and read this book as a result of it, by the way. Um, so we pick up right now uh, with Paul defending the validity of his gospel message again, cause it's under attack. They're saying what he preached was wrong. It's under attack. And so they accused Paul of not being a real apostle, and therefore his message was of his own and not fully true, only partially true, right? He's not really an apostle. This is, this authority doesn't matter. So we're going to pick up in Galatians chapter one, verse 11 and 12. And let's begin right there. Okay. It says this, Paul speaking to them for, I would have, you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me, it's not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He is defending right now his gospel message, the gospel that he brought to them, that they were saved in, that set them free. But yet they're going back into bondage. He's trying to defend that in order to keep them free. All right. The New Living Translation says the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. He's saying it's unlike anything you've ever heard. There's no way in the world that a person could come up with this. Man's reasoning does not lead to the gospel that I preached. Do you know what man's reasoning does lead to? The gospel that the Judaizers are preaching. But it does not lead to the gospel that he's preaching. We have all kinds of religions in this world, okay? All kinds of religions that man has created from his own reasoning. And they basically all conform to look very similar at their core very very similar we're going to talk about just a few. In Greek mythology all right you have an eternity and people have eternities and eternity is usually good all right there's like a good and there's a bad usually okay and that's because it's borrowed from Christianity but there's usually but there's there's always if there's not a bad there's always a good place to go all right so in Greek mythology you have an eternity known as Elysian Fields Elysian Fields, and you can look all this up and you can Google this if you want to study more in depth in these things. But it was a place for the blessed dead, all right? That's where the blessed dead goes. A person was granted entrance into Elysian Fields if they lived a righteous life righteous life deemed so by the gods. So if you lived a righteous life, And the gods were like, yes, we agree that you lived a righteous life. You are at death able to enter into Elysian fields. That is Greek mythology. Then you have Islam, all right? The Quran describes heaven as gardens of pleasure. Sounds pretty cool. And in 31.8 of the Quran, Muslims teach that if you live religiously, okay, uh, the five pillars, which by the way, uh, the five pillars are, because this is important. Uh, a profession of faith in Allah and Muhammad as God's messenger, you pray five times a day, uh, your alms, your fasting, and then a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in your life, okay? These are the things that you have to do, uh, these five pillars, and if you ask Allah for forgiveness and you show good actions in your life, you are granted entrance. So it's doing these things and asking for forgiveness, then you will be able to go to heaven, known as gardens of pleasure. In Buddhism, it's a little more obscure. Uh, Their goal is to achieve, does anybody know what the word is? Nirvana or enlightenment, right? So that's what they are looking for. Um, Nirvana is a perfect peace and happiness is what they say that it is, a heaven-like state. And it is achieved by coming to a correct understanding of something called the Four Noble Truths. So you have to come to this by way of an eightfold path. So you achieve it through meditation uh, and certain good deeds, including avoiding thoughts of hatred and harmful intent, lying or harsh speech, killing and stealing, basically avoiding a negative state of mind, Buddha achieved enlightenment and then taught them how to achieve it. All right, so it's achieved in Hinduism. It's closely related in Hinduism. You're trying to get to a state of enlightenment known as moksha. A Hindu believes you are reincarnated over and over again until you finally reach that state, all right? The way moksha is achieved is through a series of good deeds performed from one life to the next. So you're just trying to be the best person that you possibly can. If it falls short of what whatever gods, they have millions of gods, whatever gods are saying that it falls short of, then you're just gonna be reincarnated. You're gonna be able to have another chance at it. And eventually, you will reach it, hopefully. That's that's what they're hoping for, all right? Uh, Mormonism, heaven is achieved by living a good Mormon life. There are commandments that they must follow, and they also have to practice good works. I knew a Mormon lady in college. Uh, she actually was uh, a banker at the bank that I banked at. How many times can I say bank? And she was there, and I was talking to her, and she had lost her son the previous year. And so uh, she told me, Uh, that because I invited her to church and she told me that she was Mormon. I was like, oh, you know, okay. Uh, And she said, I'm trying to live a perfect, a sinless year so that my son can go to heaven. That's a lot of pressure. And so it was based on her works. Okay. Jehovah's Witness salvation is obtained by faith good works in obedience, in Judaism taught wrongly and in the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament taught wrongly, but also believe today you follow laws and God will get you into heaven. Do you guys notice a common theme here? What is it? It's works. That is what man's reasoning comes up with, a works-based salvation. Why? Because it makes sense, right? We live our whole lives. We live our entire lives based off of work performance. We gain the next level of life based on how well we handled the lower level. Right? We're talking like in school, if you want to go to a good college, you have to have good grades to get there. You work hard, you get into a good college. If you want to have a good job, you have to earn that job. Getting promotions by doing well and all of these other kinds of things. We work like your kids, for instance. Right? You've got kids in here or your parents. How did your parents handle this whole thing? You got good things based off of being a good kid, right? And so our whole lives we've been taught good equals reward. So why not in eternity? Why wouldn't it work that way? Well, that's man's reasoning. That's exactly why they come up with the things they come up with. But are you aware that Christianity is the only religion in the world that is not based on a works-based religion? It's not based on work at all, all right? Um. The gospel is unique, okay, listen to this. The world says work, God says grace. The world says do this, God said it's done. The world says do all you can to have peace with God, God says I have done all I can so that I can have peace with you. The world says there is a way you can get to God and God said I've come to you. That's different. And it's not something that man can come up with. Paul is saying, this is not man's reasoning. You can see that this isn't something that man has come up with all right and in verse 12 he says the reason that it's so unique for I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ he's saying the reason that it's so unique and it doesn't look like any other religion in the world is because I didn't get it from any person in this world I got it as a direct revelation of Jesus himself and it doesn't contradict anything that is in the Old Testament. It doesn't contradict anything that the apostles have taught. It's the same exact thing that, that God has put together and Jesus himself taught. And Paul briefly reminds them of its powers in these next two verses because he just, they already know his testimony, just like you guys already know his testimony. Because as we've gone through the book of Acts, those of you that have been with us in the book of Acts, there were three or four times that Paul went over his testimony and we didn't skip a one of them. All right, we looked at every single one of them. So you guys know, and if you're not sure, you can go back to Acts chapter 9, check it out there, see kind of more in detail of his his, um, conversion, but in verse 13 and 14, he says this, he says, you have heard of my former life in Judaism. He's like, this isn't man-made, I got this from Jesus. Remember my life, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. He was a prodigy among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What motivation would Paul have had to leave all of this advancement? There's only one motivation. It had to have been something extremely miraculous. Something that was God's size that would take a person who was advancing like this in order to leave it completely behind. I mean, that you're talking about years of investment in your life and then just saying it was all for nothing. I, it was a wasted time and I'm starting over. What would make a person do that? Only Christ. Only an understanding of the truth. Only an understanding of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 15 and he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, it's amazing how sovereign God really is. And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, God had a plan before the beginning of time to save Paul so that Paul would then go and preach to the Gentiles. Paul, it wasn't an option for Paul to get saved before the moment that he got saved, because that was not the Father's timing of Paul's salvation. Paul God had an exact moment that Paul was going to come to know Christ. God was going to reveal himself to Paul so that whenever Paul was saved, he was going to then send him to the Gentiles at this exact moment. He needed someone who was in the Jewish faith, who was incredibly zealous for God, just pointed in the wrong direction and he flipped him and now he's zealous in the right direction. God wanted him for that in that moment and he did that. And guys, you personally if you're sitting in this room and you've given your life to Christ, it was by no accident at the moment that you gave your life to Jesus. It was for a time, such a time as that. Whatever it is, you know why? Because it's the family that you have. It's because of the, the siblings that you have, the mom and dad that you have, the people that you work with. God preordained you to be with those people so that they could get a taste of, of his goodness. And he had you to do it. And he has me to do it. There's no accident that I was saved when I was saved, that I surrendered into ministry when I surrendered into ministry. It was no accident that I am pastoring a church now in Brooklyn, New York. And it's no accident that every single person is sitting here right now. It's not an accident. Guys, God has something for us, just like he had something for Paul. Don't you ever think that your life doesn't matter? Don't you ever, ever think that your life is amounting to nothing unless you're just sitting idly. Remember, he saved you for such a time as this. So make sure that you are doing what you are called to do. Um, and here's his point of all this, all right? Here's his proof that the gospel he preached didn't come from man. I love this. This is, this is, this is like apologetics right here because he takes them on like a, a, a brain, uh, I don't know, like a roller coaster, all right? And he brings them back to a point. So follow it here if you can, all right? Catch what he's doing here. Verse 16, we're fixing to read a whole lot of scripture. Here we go. I did not immediately, mean, he was saved, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He's given them this timeline. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who's to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, we just made it to chapter 2. We did it, guys. We're there. Here we go. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, love Barney. Taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for who? You and me. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. I love Paul and his side stuff. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to be circumcised, I'm sorry, to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised also worked through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. All right, so let's break this down right quick. Remember, Paul was being accused of preaching something he just made up. That's what they were saying. Paul just made all this up. And Paul was being accused of deeming himself as an apostle, right, for the sake of gathering Followers. So that's what these people try to do. They try to attack his character. Is that any Paul? He's not really an apostle. In fact, he made this whole thing up. You guys need to listen to us. We are the authority here. And we're saying that you need to follow the law. So follow us. They're trying to, they're trying to wreck Paul's character. And Paul is here defending himself so that he can defend the gospel. He's not really cared about his image. He wants the gospel that he brought to be heard. They're saying all this thing. So Paul's Paul lets them know, number one, this isn't something man could even come up with. Number two, my life was drastically changed as a result of the gospel that I'm preaching. How do you explain that? And number three, how do you explain how the gospel, no one taught me, is the same message uh, taught to the apostles by Jesus on this earth? He's saying it's the same thing. I didn't even confer with them. I didn't even talk to anyone and we believe the same thing we teach the same thing. I haven't talked to a soul and it just so happened, coincidentally, that what I taught is the same thing that the apostles taught as well. In in chapter one, verse 16 and 17, remember he says this, I did not immediately consult with anyone. He's talking about whenever he was saved, he did not immediately consult with anyone. He didn't talk with a soul, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He didn't even He didn't even go, hey, I probably should go talk to the apostles. They're the professionals on this thing. I need to go talk to them. He didn't even go talk to the apostles. He immediately was by himself. He went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, he says, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. So he didn't even meet an apostle for the first three years. And this shed some light on some things that we didn't really see in Acts. Uh, In Acts, it kind of seemed like he was saved and then all of a sudden it was like, boom, here we go, right? And everybody's afraid of him. Oh no, it's Paul. He kills people. Oh good, he loves Jesus. No, we like him. Right? And so they're kind of they're kind of happy about that now. But that's not what happened. Wow. That's kind of incredible. He went away for 3 years by himself, just him and Jesus. How did it work out? I don't know. Maybe he had the Old Testament because he knew it real well. Maybe he was sitting with it and he was just like, "Oh, this all makes sense now. I was teaching this wrong way." Right? Maybe that's what he was saying. Maybe Jesus himself, because we know that Jesus straight, like the resurrected Jesus, talked to Paul. He called him to salvation whenever he was on the ship. Jesus was telling him he's going to be okay. Like in all these instances, you're going to go preach in in Rome. Don't worry about it. Like, so maybe Jesus was actually discipling Paul. But whatever the case, Paul walked out after three years teaching the same exact message that the apostles taught. The same exact message, and that's kind of an incredible thing if you think about it. Because how in the world would that happen? And this is, this is so interesting. Well, I mean, this is what he says. This is how it happened. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. How, let me, let me ask you this question. How long were the apostles with Jesus on earth? The disciples, I'm sorry. How long were the disciples with Jesus on earth? Three years. So they learned everything they needed to know about Jesus and how to follow him in three years. How long was Paul by himself? Three years. He was discipled the same exact amount of time. He wasn't discipled by a man, Jesus. He was discipled by a resurrected Jesus and that's why the messages are the same. And that's what he's telling them. He's like, Hey, you guys are saying that I'm my, I'm called, I call myself an apostle and that I'm not even sanctioned by the apostles. But how do you explain that the exact gospel that I teach is the exact gospel that was approved by the apostles when I went and talked to them? How do you explain it? There's no explanation. There's no explanation for it. So he goes on. Then after 14 years, this is, you know, chapter two. He says, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And that's important because Titus was a Gentile. Because what, what were they trying to get? The Judaizers were trying to get the the Galatian Christians to follow Judaism. But more than that, if if they were beginning Jews, if they were beginning Gentiles, the Judaizers were saying, we want you to become a Jew first. And in order to become a Jew, what's the first thing that has to happen? Circumcision. That's the first thing that has to happen. So these people are saying, hey, you want to be a Christian? Cool. You have to be circumcised first. And the Gentiles are like, They're like, I don't think I'm not on board with that. Right? So there are people who are not even coming to Christ because they're like, are you kidding me? And and so Paul's like, why are you guys putting them in bondage? You're saying that circumcision has to happen? And that's why he brings up Titus here. He's like, I brought Titus with me. Titus came with me. He stood in front of the apostles, and not even just the apostles, the big three apostles, which are Peter, James, and John, right? The three big ones, and Peter, James, and John looked directly at Titus, and they saw what God had done in his life, and not a one of them said, he's got to be circumcised first. Instead, they commissioned them, sanctioned them, and said, yes, go and preach this gospel. Go and preach this gospel, because this is a gospel of freedom. And so I hope, I hope that whenever the Galatians are reading this letter right now, they're going, yeah, yeah, what? Why are you guys trying to put us, and I hope that the Judaizers who are trying to put them in bondage are reading this and going, oh no, what do we do now, right? I hope, because Paul's then, in just a little while, in what we're going to get into next week, Paul is just going to light into why it's grace alone. <laughs> He's just going to start going after it, and I'm sure the outcome of this, the Judaizers had to go, well, we're out of a job. We need to go now, right? Because he just so plainly spells every single thing out for them, all right? Um, and that's why, that's why he does all those things. That's why he brings up all of this stuff. That's why he goes through this entire thing that we just read, right? So if he says, for all of you to claim that the gospel I teach is made up and not the same gospel the actual apostles teach is foolishness. And I think if, I think if Paul would have had a mic in his hand, it would have been dropped at that moment because he's, there's nothing else to say, nothing else to say. It's consistent with the Old Testament, the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. It is the same gospel message that had been passed on to us. Guys, aren't you so glad that this gospel message has been preserved for us and we get to have the same thing? Are you guys aware that the gospel that we teach at this church is the same gospel that Paul taught to the Galatians? It's the same gospel that Jesus taught to the apostles. It's the same gospel that Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus taught to Paul whenever he was gone for three years. That is the same gospel. Thing that we have. And I thank God for people like Paul who refused to conform to what everybody else told them to do so that you and I can sit here as a product of the true gospel. We aren't sitting here teaching that, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, but also you have to do these things because that's not a gospel. That leads nowhere. That does not lead to salvation. You guys remember our mathematical equation that we learned a couple of weeks ago, right? Jesus plus something equals what? Nothing! But Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything, all right? That's the message that we get to have. And thank God for people over history that have not conformed to what everybody else tells them to do. I think about Martin Luther. Praise God that there was a trend in church that was going completely the opposite of the gospel. In fact, it looked a lot like what was going on in Galatians right here. There was a gospel that was going a completely different way saying that it's, yes, it's Jesus, but it's also, you have to do all these other things as well. And Martin Luther was like, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what this says. And so he decides, I'm not going to conform to what everybody's saying. I'm going to now say and call all of you out that what you are teaching is a lie. He does exactly what Paul does here. Paul writes a letter to them to save them. Martin Luther does the same exact thing. He's like, no, it's by grace alone. It's through faith alone in Jesus alone. There's nothing else. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus. It's not by works because nobody else can boast about it. And guys, that's the freeing gospel. A bondage gospel is a gospel that teaches you have to do things in order to be saved. We are not called to a bondage gospel. I don't know about you guys. I'm extremely grateful for that. I am so glad that my standing with God is not based on my performance because I fail miserably all the time. It's not about what I do, it's about what he's done. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Um, so what we? What's, what's gonna be our takeaway from this today? Guys, conformity is everywhere, all right? Hey, look, whatever you wanna conform to, look, if you go to Disney World and you're like, hey, everybody wears Mickey ears, I'm gonna buy me some Mickey ears, whatever, all right? Like if, that's, if you wanna conform to that, go ahead and conform to that. These kinds of things don't matter in life, okay? Go for it. Um, Totally bought a Mickey jacket one time at Disney World. And I wore it only at Disney World, because whenever I left Disney World, I realized that that's not cool. (laughs) So, but Alex has the Mickey Mouse jacket, and he makes it look cool. You know what? I'm gonna start rocking my Mickey Mouse jacket. You and me. Let's do it, okay? That's what we're gonna pull away from today. Let's pray, (laughs) all right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, what are we pulling away from today? Guys, we we do not need to conform um, the image of this world. Don't do it. Don't fall into it. It's a trap. It's, it's a very luring trap because it, it, it wears beauty. It wears joy and it wears happiness. But those are all masks and all they're doing is covering up a rotten stench that's on the inside. Do not fall for that. Do not conform. You be who God has called you to be wherever it is that you are and watch what God does through you. All right. Whatever three-fourths of your life that you've given to conformity, take it back. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.